some of you heard me talk about before that I grew up in a fundamental Baptist church. And what that meant was we had lots of rules. If you wanted the leaders of those churches of that church to, to appreciate you or to notice you, you had to follow rules. If you wanted to be a, a, a leader in the church, you had to follow even more rules. And if you really wanted to be, you know, like a, a minister, you had to go to one school that was blessed by this church. And if you didn't go to that school, then people thought you were, you, you weren't good enough to be in their religion. And I remember we left that, that church when I was in third grade. And I remember discussions we had about guys with long hair and how that was bad and women who wore pants and how that was bad. We talked about people who drank and that was bad. We tra- talked about people who smoked and that was bad. And I thought that, that I knew, understood religion. Until I went to Israel. Janie and I went to Israel and we just got back a couple of weeks ago. We spent two weeks there and um, I learned a new level of religion. I just want to show you a couple of pictures and uh, go through this. Now, this is modern day Jerusalem. Old Jerusalem is this wall here and it goes around. That's the Dome of the Rock. The uh, Muslims actually believe that the Dome of the Rock is built where uh, Abraham offered Ishmael. If you know your Bible, Abraham offered Isaac. The Muslims are descendants of Ishmael though, so they have changed it to say that this is over the exact place on Mount Moriah where Abraham offered Ishmael. We know that's not true. They've got a, they have a mosque over here and there's only two hours a day that you're even allowed to go on the temple mount now. And so you have to get in line early. You got to go through all kinds of security, um, two levels of security. And then there are military police all over the place because there used to be lots of problems. There. There's not problems anymore. But anyway, just wanted you to see that. Now that's modern day Jerusalem. Here's an older picture of Jerusalem. Now, when we're talking about Jerusalem today, cause we're going to come back to this, we're we're talking about the smaller area. The city of David was on one hill and it was, it was the city of Jebus. If you read the old Testament, we talked about that in judges just a few weeks ago. That was the city of David. It's a walled city as well. Whenever Solomon built a temple, he went up a little bit higher on what is Mount Moriah and he built the temple area. And then Herod, the great came along and built this massive thing. Now today that, that we have the temple Mount, we don't have a temple anymore because it was destroyed. The first one was destroyed by the Babylonians. The second one was destroyed in about 70 AD by the Romans. And so we don't have the temple anymore. Now, when we got there, we saw something I'd never seen before. Here, here's the first one. This is, this is a Hasidic, H-A-S-I-D-I-C, Jew. That just means ultra-Orthodox Jew. Now, the strange thing about the Hasidic Jews is they didn't, they weren't even established until the 1800s. They were established somewhere in Europe, but it kind of caught on and they went back. And, and now you've got these, these guys all over the city of Jerusalem. We actually go into our hotel. We would drive through neighborhoods where Everybody was like this. The women, the, the men, the children, they were dressed like this. Notice the, uh, the hats. Now, I don't know why. Some of them have the, the smaller ones. Janie said it was, it was to cover up bald spots, but I'm not sure that's the reason. Um, but then some of them have hats and notice the hair. You'll see some hair in, uh, in, in a minute. I, I don't know exactly why they did that, but this is, this is what we started to see everywhere. Next picture. Uh, now this is actually in the tomb of David. The thing that bothered me about Israel is everywhere we would go, if there was a holy site, they'd build a church over it. And if the uh, Catholics got there first, they would build their church. Um, if the Greek Orthodox got there first, they would build their church. Um, if the Armenians got there, the Franciscans, whoever, they would build a church over it. Well, this is actually the tomb of David. And you can see, uh, we got some really fancy hats here. We got the hair. I don't know. I don't understand. I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying, I don't understand the little curly things of hair and the, and the facial hair and all that stuff. Notice, look at this little box right here. 
Um, that's called a phylactery and it comes from the old Testament where God said, you shall wear these commandments on your forehead. You shall wear them on the hems of your garments. So they took it literally. That's not a literal thing. It was figurative, meaning you should memorize it. You should follow these rules, but they, they actually have little, um, things of scripture inside there. You can actually open up scripture in there. Um, by the way, y'all seen the, the things that, that go on the door. It's called a mezuzah, mezuzah, mezuzah. I don't remember how to pronounce it. They actually, it was, it was, you were supposed to put scripture in there. Now, this is, I'm not making this up. Everyone in, in Israel is angled and it's because they couldn't figure out, should you have a mezuzah straight up and down or should you have it like this? So they angled it. Dumbest thing I've ever seen. But anyway, they argue over stuff like this. Next picture. This is the biggest menorah I've ever seen. It is life size. Now, Any holy site that you go to where the, where the ultra Orthodox Jews are, there's a men's side and a women's side. So that's not a women's restroom. That's actually where the women could go and they could see at a distance the, uh, the tomb of David. So I just wanted you to see religious symbols. We're going to be talking about that for the next four weeks. Next one. This is actually the tomb supposedly of David and, and you can't see the, the tomb because it's covered up with this white uh, sheet thing here. Now, if you're a Hasidic Jew, you go to the site and you pray because you're closer to God there. David was the greatest king in the Old Testament of Israel and so they would go and they would pray there. And when they would say these prayers, it wasn't like you and I pray. They would have memorized prayers or they'd have a book of prayers and they would start praying it. And the closer you got to the religious symbol, supposedly the more powerful your prayer was. And so because they're saying the same prayers over and over and over again, they, they do this. And so when we'd be at the Western wall or we'd be at some of these places, you know, I'd never seen it before. And this dude just starts busting out doing this. And it's because they lose concentration when, when they're saying this prayer, the same prayer over and over and over again. So that helps them concentrate. Next picture. Now we were just sitting, uh, we were waiting to go to lunch one day and this guy just shows up. Notice he's got the, the phylactery on his forehead again. Next one. Now, this is the, the, the Western Wall. How many of you have seen the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, where they go and they pray and they put little prayers in the cracks? That's, the, the strange thing about the Western Wall is that it's not even a part of the original temple. When Herod the Great, who was not a great man, he was, he was a good architect, but he was a really pretty sorry human being, he actually expanded the place where the temple was. This was a retaining wall, and it's the only retaining wall that, that's still left from what Herod did. And so the Jews go to it because it's as close as they can get to the Holy of Holies, which doesn't even exist anymore. And so this is a bar mitzvah. Um, this is this is a young man who who has reached 13 years old. They have have this this whole processional. We're we're just going around looking at all the archaeological digs and excavations and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, we hear this ram's horn, which is a shofar, and you know, they start blowing. They start blowing. We're going, what's going on? And it's this little processional. This yay, he's thirteen. He's a man. Well, they come to the western wall, and he gets to I guess pray his first prayer. I don't know exactly what was going on there, but I thought this was really strange because again, at the western wall, the women have their side, the men have their side. You have to have your head covered if you're a man and go there. And so there's a wall in between. The, the women are on the women's side, the men are on the men's side, but the women want to know what was going on in the bar mitzvah. So they're standing up on the wall looking over and I'm just going, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I don't understand the level of religion because they believe that if they do certain things, if they dress a certain way, if they pray at certain places, then God is obligated to be involved in their lives. And that's not true. So we're going to be talking about religion for the next four weeks, talking about losing your religion. And that's a good thing (laughs) because if you've ever studied religion, the history of religion can actually be very embarrassing because people have done things in the name of God 
Oh, that's actually the Western Wall. I forgot to say that one. This one, uh, the men can come down here and, and they, they can go closer to the Holy of Holies. The women can't come down here and see these, um, these cabinets here. They, they would open them up and they would have prayer things in there. So they'd have like shawls or carpets or whatever. And, and, and if you're really, really serious, you would get up and you would kiss it and you would pray your prayer. It's just strange, just bizarre, the whole thing. And so I want you to think about the, the history of religion that it's not really a because a lot of religious leaders, even in our day, have used religion in order to make themselves wealthy or powerful or, or famous. And, and religion is not what we want to be about. And so before we, we give other people, whether it's the Hasidic Jews or the other Jews or the, the Muslims or, or others, before we give other people who are religious a hard time, I want to ask you some questions about your religion. Have you ever tried to get God um, to give you glory? Have you ever prayed to God or tried to get God to give you glory? Use God, right? Let, let me give you an example. No matter what your team is, on the day your team is in the big game, have you ever prayed, oh, dear God, let my team be your team just for one day? Some of you put a lot of money down on that team, and you want God to help you with that. Um, even if you aren't into big sports, if you have children who play sports, or they're, have you ever prayed, oh, dear God, protect all the children today, and if one child has to trip and fall so that someone else can score, please let my son not be the tripper. Right? right? Nobody? Yeah, me and, me and Travis have already talked about this. Um, at some point, you have... Pray to selfish prayer, whether to get um, a house or a car or a date or a test. In seminary, one of my professors used to pray before every test. He would say, oh, God, I pray that you help these seminary students remember in proportion to the amount of time they spent studying. And I'm not kidding. Every time he would pray that, somebody at the back of the room would go, oh, God, no. I need a miracle, God. Don't don't bless me. And I always studied. I'm, I'm, I like studying, so I, I wasn't worried. I'm like, yes, God, I agree with that prayer. But there would be people praying against that prayer because they needed God's supernatural power. Now, at some point in your life, you've thought, if you're honest, you've thought, what formula do I have to use to get God to pay attention to me? See, uh, I I used to believe when I was in college that if I listened to Christian music while I was speeding, I wouldn't get caught. I'm I'm not making that up. I memorized this verse, and this verse is Psalm 37, 4, and it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And um, so I was delighting in God. I was singing praises, driving about 85 miles an hour back when it was 55 mile an hour speed limit. And, and I was like, God, I don't want to get caught. And then the lights come on. And that DPS trooper was not impressed that I was singing to God. God wasn't impressed either that I was breaking the law. Let me just say that. God's not obligated to bless you when you're breaking the law. But but here's what what I want you to think about. Um, Have you ever thought that God owes you something because you do something for him? I go to church on a regular basis, so God, why don't you give me a little bit of favor? God, I read the Bible. Why don't you answer my prayers? God, I pray. I do all of these things. Why, why don't you, have you ever gotten mad at God for not doing what you wanted him to do when you wanted him to do it? Anyone? 
Yeah, that means you're, you're kind of religious. Because religion is a formula where we try to do certain things to get God to pay attention to us. And, and I just want you to know, religion isn't going to go away. As long as human beings, there's certain things we can't do. We actually want there to be a higher power and we want him on our side. Religion's not going anywhere, but I, ju- I just want you to get in this whole series that religion doesn't work. And honestly, most of us really don't care that much about religion. Here's what we care about. We just want to know, is there a God? Does he love me? And does he listen to my prayers? Because if, if you say I need to wear a hat or a sash or if you, I need to stand on one foot and hop around, I'll do that if you can prove to me that there is a God that when my child is sick or when my marriage is falling apart or when my child is missing or I need something that he's going to be there to listen to me because I really want to know, is there a God? Does he listen to my prayers? That's what we want to know. Because, you know, when, when good stuff happens, if you get that dream job, or you get the uh, array or you get that dream date, nobody goes home and wrings their hands and cries and says, why is this happening to me? No, we go, it's about stinking time. I deserve something good. But when something bad happens, we want there to be some kind of purpose for our pain. We don't want to go through this garbage for nothing. So we want to know there's a God. And if there's not a God, we get worried. When you question if there's a God, you're actually very, very close to where God wants you to be. Because God put a desire in you for purpose and meaning. And when you start thinking about those things, you're real, real close to God. So if you've, if you've been far from God, if you hadn't been in church in a while and you're just coming back, if, if, you know, you're not where you want to be with God, then I want you to pray, God, show me that you're real. And then I want you to watch for evidence in your life. Cause usually what we do is we pray, God, do this, God, do this, God, do this. And then we don't look for the evidence and God does it all around us. You know, there's massive things around, but we don't have spiritual eyes. We've got, we've got, um, natural eyes, earthly eyes, and we don't see God at work. So when you pray and ask God to show you that he's real, I want you to watch for the evidence. Now, the first thing in, in this series that I want you to write down this on your listening guide is stop looking for God in religion. Because if you keep looking for God in religion, it won't be long before you'll walk away and you'll say, religion just doesn't seem to be working for me. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Religion just doesn't work for me. And see, that's the problem is we want religion to work for us. Really, we want God to work for us. We want God to do what we want when we want him to do it. And we get mad when he doesn't. We act like little children. The bottom line is if, if one of the main reasons that we lose our religion, that our faith dies is we tend to look for God in all the wrong places. We look for him in all the wrong people. We look for him in all the wrong circumstances and systems. When you look at your life, or if you look at the life of someone you love, who's walked away from the church, walked away from God, I'm willing to bet that something happened to them. And, and they lost their religion because they were looking for God in the wrong places. Now, today I'm going to talk to you about a deconversion. A deconversion is when somebody is fully committed to one thing and they completely change to the opposite. They become deconverted to this. They become converted to this. And I want to talk to you about a man named Paul. But before he was Paul, his Jewish name was Saul. Now, as I've studied his life, I think you could argue that Saul may just have been the most religious person in the history of the world. I dare you to study his life and and come up with somebody else that was more religious than him. He was a radical Jew. He was the most religious Jew alive at the time. We're not going to go through all of his Jewish credentials. It's in the scriptures, in the book of Acts, and you can read about it. It's this crazy list of credentials. He was taught by the highest, the, the best teachers, all of these things. He was a Pharisee. He was what I call a GMJ, a gold medal Jew. 
As a gold medal Jew, he became concerned about this new group, this cult that was on the scene called the Way. Now, at this time, um, it, Christianity was very new. There was it was illegal for Christians to have um, public buildings. They couldn't do that. The Romans didn't really care about the Christians. They thought they were just this crazy sect of the uh, of Jews, and and they they were called the Way because of something Jesus said about being the Way, the Truth, and the Life. So that's what people called them. Well, Saul hears about the Way, and he goes on. The- personal mission to stomp them out. And and as a gold medal Jew, this was his duty. He wanted to stop them before they ever got started. He wanted to completely rid Jerusalem of Jesus, the name of Jesus, and, and this cult of Jesus followers. Now, the strange thing is along the way, Saul becomes a follower of Jesus. It's a great story. You, you need to read about it in, in Acts. It's several chapters long. Um, but but he, go, he becomes a, a follower of Jesus, and then he goes and he starts churches all over Europe, and he eventually gets back to Jerusalem, and this is not long before the end of, of his life when he goes before Caesar. And so um, this, this has to be the, the craziest story about how someone comes to Christ you're going to hear. Paul is in the temple years later after he's come to Christ, after he started churches, and um he he brings some people into the temple and the 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 religious leaders there the gold medal Jews that are left the pharisees they don't like it because they think he's diluting their religion so they kick him out and they're about to beat him when the romans hear about it the romans come because they're supposed to to uh keep the peace they actually arrest paul because they're worried they take him to jail. They think he is a um, an Egyptian insurrectionist who's leading a rebellion. They take him to jail. They strap him up. They're going to beat him to ask him what happened. This was this was some torture. Right as they're about to beat him, Paul goes, "No, no, no! I'm not an Egyptian. In fact, I'm a Roman citizen." Now, if you know anything about Rome, you know that it is illegal to arrest and imprison and to beat a Roman citizen without a proper trial. So these guys could have lost their jobs. They could have very probably lost their lives. They didn't know what to do. So they set up this series of events where Paul was going to go meet before people. The first time he goes to the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin would be like if you took every deacon from every church in Palestine and put them together on a council. That's the Sanhedrin. How much do you think would get done? That's a story for another day. Thank you. Nothing. So anyway, he goes before the Sanhedrin. Sure enough, nothing gets done because that's what we'd expect. Then they find out he's from a certain town. So he goes before Felix. Felix is a Roman governor. Well, the trial takes so long that Felix goes out of office. Then Festus is the next Roman governor. Festus is crooked. He lets him sit in jail. He's wanting a bribe from him. And finally, King Agrippa comes along. King Agrippa is actually a Jew. He's allowed to rule over the Jewish territory uh, by the Romans. Agrippa is the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was not a great person. He was, he was actually a jerk. He killed many of his children who thought he, he, he thought they were going to take over his throne. He killed a couple of his wives. He had 40 something wives. He, he killed a couple of them thinking they were going to take over his throne. He was not a good guy, but he was in charge at the time that Jesus was born. Herod the great is the one who had all the babies in Bethlehem killed trying to kill Jesus. All right. So now you got Herod Agrippa, his grandson, and Paul appears before him in Acts 26. Um, Paul tells Agrippa his deconversion story. And this is such an important story that it was written down. It was circulated all over Europe and Egypt. And then 200 years after it was written, it was recognized as part of the Bible, the New Testament that we call Acts. So he's about to tell the story of how he became a follower of the way. And at the end of the story, this is what I want you to hear. At the end of the story, he tells us this key. If you lose sight of this one thing about Christianity, you will very probably walk away from your faith. You'll lose your religion. Now, it, it, it can be a good thing to lose your religion, but not losing your faith. So he starts his story back when his name is still Saul. And here's what he says, Acts 26, starting in verse 9. 
I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. Now, remember I showed you Jerusalem. It's not a very big area at this time. So if you're a very prominent Jew, if you're the highest Jew that has been trained by the best teacher, it's not real hard to understand that everybody in that city knows about Paul. So he says, um, I was in Jerusalem. Um, on the authority of the chief priest. Now he says, you can go ask him. So the chief priest, the temple wasn't going to be very far from where they were meeting. You can ask the chief priest. This is what I did on the authority of the chief priest. I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Paul said, I wanted Christians dead. They say they serve a, 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 a crucified savior. Let them die with him. He was a radical Jewish terrorist at this time. Look what it says in the next verse. Many a time I went from synagogue to uh, one synagogue to another to have them punished and I tried to force them to blaspheme. How do you get someone to, to denounce the name of Christ? You do it by torture. That's what terrorists do. Paul says, I was so upset persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. So he was Saul the bounty hunter. He's the number one enemy of Jesus and his followers. He says, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus, and and he's given us details so we can study this, with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, there's another detail, King Agrippa, I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. So he's saying, there were other people with me. If you don't believe me, all you have to do is ask them. Look what he says next. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, another detail, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, kicking against the goad is is just a creative way to say you're fighting a losing battle because a goad was a long stick with a pointy end on it. And if you're working the oxen or if you're working with some animals and they weren't doing what you wanted them to do, you'd poke them with it. And of course, they're not going to like it. And and the, 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 the deal is the guy who has the goad, he always wins. No matter how cantankerous an animal gets, no matter how much it bickers and kicks back, you're you're eventually going to lose. So the animal finally does what the goad guy wants him to do. Jesus is saying, I don't care how many Christians you arrest. I don't care how many you kill. Paul, you are fighting a losing battle because you're fighting against me. This shakes Paul up and he says, then I ask, who are you, Lord? Because think about this. You're the number one Jew. You think this is a cult. You think you're defending God's name. And then all of a sudden this bright light comes and starts speaking to you and says, you're persecuting me. And so Paul's going, you mean everything I I know about God is wrong? Everything I know about Jesus Christ is wrong and the church is wrong? I've been looking for God in all the wrong places, in all the wrong people, in all the wrong systems. I don't know what to do. He says, then I ask, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now, I want you to to get in your mind what's going on here. Who is Paul talking to? Who's he telling the story to? King Agrippa. So King Agrippa, he he has this whole audience with this royal royalty from, from the Jewish nation. And King Agrippa goes, let me get this straight. You saw a light and you heard a voice from heaven. What were you smoking on the road to Damascus and where can I get some? Right. I mean, this is what the dude's thinking, because this is crazy. Now, it would be a crazy story if you didn't know who Paul was. What makes this so compelling is that everybody knew he was the number one Jew of the time. He used to kill Christians and now he's become one. And see, even Christians didn't trust him when he first became a Christian. They said, no, no, no. He kills people. We're not going to trust him. It's a trick. What's his story? Well, he's going to tell us the rest of the story. Here's what Jesus says to him. 
Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen and will see of me. Now, if you're going to choose somebody who's going to be a witness of the way, would you choose the number one opponent of the way? God would. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes. He said, I'm sending you to the Jews and every other Gentile, every other religious system, because their eyes are closed. They can't see the truth of who I am. They're looking for me in the wrong places. And the Gentiles are going to be really ticked because they are God's people. He's their God. They have this special place. And God said, it's not about religion. It's all about relationship. Look what he says next. And he said, not only are you going to open their eyes, you're going to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And here it is. Here's the, the two words I've been trying to get us to this whole time. So that they may ref- receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The all important message that Jesus sent Paul to share with a religious people was you can be forgiven. This is big. If you want a faith that lasts, you're going to think this is way too simplistic. If you want a faith that lasts, you have to remember that you and I need forgiveness of sins. You have to remember that. Now, I I showed you some Hasidic Jews that we saw. Now, I did a search on the Internet, and I found some more because I wanted you to see some of this stuff closer. Um, That is just some special curls. I don't know. We were asking, how do they get the curls? Do you, do you stick a curl? I don't know. I don't know. We, this was what we discussed on our van, the deep theological discussions. How do they get curls like that? And if you're, if you're me, I can't be a Hasidic Jew. I, I couldn't do it. This guy, I don't know. They, they Seriously, you could tell by their hats which area of Hasidic Jew they belong to. And so this one, it's fuzzy. It's a fuzzy little hat. Now the stick, I did not see a stick. If you tried to go into the temple mount with a stick, you would be beaten with it. Um, you wouldn't make it through there. Next one. Now, some of you here were, la- were here last week when I told you that we flew from Tel Aviv to Newark, New Jersey, 12 hour flight. And this, I'm not kidding. This is exactly what the dude who sat next to me looked like. The one that I wanted to strangle with his little curls because he was worse than a two year old. He didn't speak any English and, and I'm trying to sleep and, and he would slam against this way and he would shake the whole thing. Janie's over here by the window. I'm in the middle and, and then this Hasidic Jew, every time he would get up, he would have his tray, you know, because he had a special kosher meal there. So nobody else could touch it. But every time he would get up, it would just go, stuff would go everywhere. And, and man, I just, I, I almost lost my Jesus sitting next to this Jew because he would not be still every time I'd fall asleep. Anyway. Next one. Now, I don't know where this, I don't know why you would put this on the internet. Um, I don't know. I'm too sexy for my hat. I don't know what that is, but anyway, I just thought I would show you. Now here's the deal. Here's part of the thing. We're going all through Jerusalem. These people are everywhere. And, and there's only one, I mean, thousands of these Hasidic Jews. There's one who even made icon. Cause I say hi to everybody. I'm walking along, you know, Muslims. I don't care. Hi. Hey, and then, you know, only one Hasidic Jew even acknowledged our presence. Now I'm not trying to talk bad about them, but here's, here's what I want you to get. The point of religion is I'm trying to get God to pay attention to me to do what I want him to do. And if you aren't trying to get God, you know, if you're not in the same religion with me, if you're not as good as me, that makes me better than you. It makes me holier than thou. And Christianity 
There's no place for that. Because when I look at the cross, not only do I not think I'm any better than you, I'm pretty sure I'm worse than you are. Because my sin put him on that cross. And so when I see Jesus and my sin putting him up there and I see that the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level, that means no one's got a higher position than another, then, then it doesn't matter what you do to me. As long as I'm looking at Jesus, I can forgive you. And it doesn't matter what I do to you. As long as you're looking at Jesus, you can forgive me. And this is really the big thing. See, God didn't, God didn't tell Paul to go tell everybody I'm a good God. So only good stuff's going to happen because here's really the problem. We believe God is good, but not everything that happens in this life is good. Right? And we struggle with that. The point of the New Testament is you can, I can experience forgiveness for sins. And, and if you're honest, you're going to say, I've sinned against other people. If you don't say that, I bet you're willing to say, how many of you have had somebody sin against you? Anyone? This is participation. Yeah. If you're not honest enough to say that you've hurt someone or you've, you've done something to hurt somebody else, at least you'll be honest enough to tell me that, that you've been sinned against. And I think anybody who has an ounce of integrity would admit that there's at least one time in your life when you've needed to ask forgiveness from somebody else because you've hurt them or offended them, right? And see, here's, here's the problem with religion. Very often, I don't live up to your expectations of me. I don't live up to my expectations for myself. You don't live up to my expectations either. But that's not what it's about. If I can't live up to your expectations, you can't live up to mine. If I need to ask you for forgiveness and you need to ask me for forgiveness, doesn't it make sense that we can't live up to a holy God's expectations? Doesn't it make sense if you need to ask my forgiveness, I need to ask you. Doesn't it make sense that we need to ask forgiveness from a holy God? That's a yes or no. Thank you. The message that Jesus gave to the, to the most religious man in history is you can receive forgiveness of sins and so can everyone else. What God desired for every person was forgiveness of sins. Here's why. Because when I ask for your forgiveness and you forgive me or you ask forgiveness from someone else and they forgive you, the relationship is restored. God's desire for every one of us, every person who's ever lived, is to be restored in relationship to him. I'm not guilty of sin because my mom and dad sinned. I'm guilty of sin because I sinned, and God wants me to be restored. God wants you to be restored. And restoration begins when I ask God, a holy God, will you forgive me? I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Because see... I've been in church a long time and I've never heard somebody who's walked away from God, who's far from God. I've never heard somebody say, you know, my issue with the church is forgiveness of sins. Never heard that one. You know what I have heard? That pastor did me wrong. That person cheated on this person and and I can't, if they're a Christian, I don't want to be a Christian. If that's what the church stands for, I don't want to be a part of it. Here's the deal. Stop looking at people. Start looking at Jesus. 
Because Satan wants to distract you. He wants you looking at other people and saying, I don't want to be like them. Well, God doesn't want you to be like them. God wants you to be like Jesus. And you can't do it in your own power. The only way is to say, I need forgiveness of sins. I need to be restored. And then with the power of the Holy Spirit, I will change from the inside out. So I ought to look like at 51, I should look more like Jesus than I did when I was 20. The problem most of us have is we're repeating the same year over and over and over again spiritually. So we're not 30 years old as a Christian. We're one year old and we just keep repeating the same thing over and over again. We don't mature. Satan gets us off of the main idea. And and what happens is then we miss the very narrow road to God. We get on this broad road to destruction. My brothers and I got to snorkel in the Red Sea and I didn't know the Red Sea looked just like the Caribbean. It's beautiful. And, but there was this really strong wind and, and you're going across this utter desert. And then all of a sudden there's this beautiful blue sea down there. And so we went down for a couple of days and we're snorkeling and there was a very, very strong current. And so what you would have to do, you'd get off this pier and, and they don't give you life jackets. Every time I've ever gone snorkeling, they give you those inflatable life jackets, you know, in case you get in trouble, you, you puff it up and you float until you're okay. They don't give you life jackets. And I'm going, dude, what happens if we get tired? You know, you get in the Red Sea and you float. I mean, it's not like the Dead Sea, not as bad as the Dead Sea, but it's it's more salty than than some other seas around. And so no problem floating. So what you would do is you would you'd get off this pier and you'd swim up to this pier and then you would let the uh, the current drift you back down to this pier and you'd get out. Well, my brother and I are having a big old time. And so we're partners and, and this is the middle brother. The oldest brother is with his wife and he's he's out of control anyway. So that she can't swim very much. So she's she's not liking the current. So she's just pulling along the rope, you know, and just going back and forth on the rope. Well, Terry and I are just having a great time. It is the most beautiful coral I've ever seen. Seeing fish I've never seen before. We're having a great time. Well, before you know it, the, the current carries us way, 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 way down here. We don't know. We're, we're just having a good time. And, and so all of a sudden we hear this voice on a PA system speaking in, in Hebrew. And so I pop my head up and Terry pops his head up and I said, that's probably for us. And he goes, yeah, we're way down here in this restricted area. And I said, yeah, what are we going to do? And he said, I don't know. We got to get out of here. Well, so then what had happened is my oldest brother can't see us. And so he gets worried. And so he goes to the to the lifeguard and he goes, hey, I can't find my brothers. And he said, well, describe them. And so the dude stands up with his, with his binoculars and he goes, oh, I see them. They're in restricted space. And he goes, that's my brothers. <laughs> and, uh, and I told Terry, I said, what do we do? And he goes, I don't know. Let's just, so we have to find our little way through, you know, and it, here's the, here's the point. When, when we were out there snorkeling, the, they, the lifeguard actually said this. We didn't get in trouble because it's a very, very small area, smaller than this aisle right here where you're supposed to go between the coral and get out. Well, Terry and I are having such a big time that we go right past it. He said, happens all the time, not a big deal. Here's the point I'm trying to make. If, if you're looking at other people, and saying their lack of Christian values or morals or whatever are affecting you, you're, you're playing into Satan's hands. And you're going to miss that very narrow way that the Bible says leads to life. Did a series a couple of years ago about being weird, and we said that weird is, is um, not broke because normal's broke. Normal is divorce. Normal is, is all of these. We want to be weird. We want to be different. Jesus said, get on that little narrow way. You're not going to be on the narrow way. If you're looking at my sins, you need to look at the cross and look at your own sins. Then you're right where God wants you to be. 
If you've never been in a relationship with Christ, that's the beginning of the journey is when you call out to a holy God and you say, will you forgive me of my sins? If you've been away from God, that's how you come back. If you want to restore relationship with other Christians, the way you do that is you look at the cross and you remember, I need forgiveness of sins. You need forgiveness of sins. A couple of things real quick, and then we're going to wrap this up. The big problem is a lot of you have fell for a system to try to get to God. And if you read the Bible, you'll see that systems don't lead you to a savior. Religious systems were designed to control you, right? Here's the difference. God wants to restore you. Why is that a big deal? Because restoration makes relationship possible. That's what God wants for you is a tight relationship. Would you bow your heads for just a minute? How many of you would admit today that you're not as close to God as you once were? Would you just raise your hand? All right, that's a bunch of us. The Bible says, 1 John, says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It also says that, that if we walk in the light, Jesus Christ is light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Let's just be real honest today that the reason we're messed up in our relationships is because we're not looking at Jesus. So I want to challenge you right now just to say, God, show me you're real and restore a deep and abiding relationship with you. And then I want you to start looking for evidence that God's at work in your life. Father, we love you and we pray that you would change our hearts and our minds, that we would not be looking at each other, but we would look only to you. That if we've been religious and we've been trying things to get you to do what we want, help us to forget, uh, for, forgive us of that and then help us forget that way of going and let us follow you with all of our hearts. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.